Hello and welcome to the Spider Duck Podcast for recording on September 30th, 2013. In the red corner, we have John Boehner himself, or as he likes to go, Fox. Uh, how are you doing? I'm doing pretty good today. Alright, glad to hear. In the blue corner, we have Mr. Michael Hewitt, or as he likes to call himself, Harry Reid. How are you doing? I'd like to think I have a little more pizzazz than Harry Reid. <laughs> Harry Reid's pizzazz is understated. I think everything about him is understated. Uh, your voice does kind of sound like him. <laughs> okay. I suppose I suppose it's better than being Mr. Tan Leather himself. <laughs> so, uh, so, Mike, what games have you been playing lately? What games have I been playing? Oh, man, it's been so long since we've... Since I've been on one of these, it's hard to say. But I suppose the big one would be Grand Theft Auto V. That is a rather large game. It is. My God. I don't... I don't know if I can say just how good this game is. Like, I don't know if I can put it into words, but... It is it is the best game I have ever played. And I've played a lot of games. Choose a single word. Amazing. Fucking Amazing. <laughs> you've broken the rules. Uh, amazing. Yeah, that. But it's so good. I, I, I nitpick everything to like the nth degree, and I could not find a single thing I didn't like about that game. Do you think you'll feel the same when you go back and play it in a year from now? A year from now, I think the only thing that I might have a problem with is it's it's the only reason I don't have a problem with it now is because it's a hardware restriction. So it's not really the game's fault, but it only runs at 30 frames per second on the Xbox 360 and PlayStation 3. Mm. And assuming the new consoles run at 60 frames per second, or at least have the capability to run at 60 frames per second, it'll probably stand out a lot more. But I mean, I, I play a lot of games with 60 frames per second on my computer as is, and it, you kind of notice it quite a bit when you're driving at higher rates of speed, when it has to like render objects very fast. And that could be a problem. That character models kind of look like claymation. <laughs> that sounds nice. Well, I, well it's, not a, it's not a bad thing. It's just kind of that's the one. That's just kind of what I what I thought it looked like, and it is a really good claymation at that. But and they're very expressive. It's not like they're like missing anything because of it. Okay, so, sounds like good times. Yeah, I was actually kind of reflecting the other day, like back in high school, Grand Theft Auto Three was like that casual game, and like. No. That was what I used to look down on my nose, down my nose <laughs> on other gamers, and now I'm ten years down the line. Uh, it's been reintroduced to me as this artistic sort of sat- satirical uh, a game that makes use of space to tell story. Um, it's just kind of weird how its role completely did a 180 in my brain. It, it, it is really a very impressive technical feat, and it does so much. I want to say undermining of like our own cultural tropes that we deal with. And that's one of the reasons it gets such disdain from like popular media. I shouldn't say popular media because it's kind of a dying form, the giant cable things, but they don't like it very much. Cause I'm not sure they realize that it's a satire. Of, like, yeah. That's, that's the thing about satire that it's, um, it's very easy to miss. You either get it or you hate it. If it's good satire. Yeah, and I think Grand Theft Auto is excellent satire. I don't think it always was satire, or it wasn't always meant to be satire. 
but you could always draw it as satire. Like Grand Theft Auto 3, I, d- I just think was, it was just a dream somebody had. Because, like, thinking back on it, like, did anybody else, that was, like, the first, like, free-roaming sandbox game. Like, it really depends on how you want to classify that. Would it be the first commercially viable? I guess my problem is, like, what distinguishes that from Daggerfall as open world and free roaming? That's a good question. How long ago was Daggerfall? I cannot even remember. I know I played it. I want to say really early 90s or late 80s. Yeah, I mean, I, I, it's possible I just didn't think about it, but I, I always do kind of differentiate. I could be wrong for doing this. I always do kind of differentiate between games from uh, p- PC and games from consoles. Okay. When I talk about a lot of these things, like I said, I could, I, I could just be like, that could just be a bad way of looking at it. But whenever I'm whenever I'm thinking of like these big sandbox games, like that was the game. And a PC, I didn't really pay PC back then, so it's hard for me to like compare it to that. If you know what I'm saying. To be fair, Daggerfall is still mostly sprite based. Yeah. So, you think the distinction could be drawn at Grand Theft Auto was the first commercially successful open world game that was 3D? It's probably the first that comes to mind that's fully well open world and fully 3D that was is successful. Yeah, like you could you could argue Shenmue, but that wasn't very successful. There was a game that came out. I'd say Grand Theft Auto has more. That I cannot think of. Body it was Harvest? kind of. Was that? Oh, yeah, Body, Body Harvest. Harvest. The, uh, yeah, that's it. Game. Body Harvest. Like I could not think of the name of it. But I don't know if you call that financially successful. That was kind of more like a proof of concept game. Yeah. It was pretty proto. Yeah. Yeah. But I mean, I, I don't know. I just remember. I want to say Grand Theft Auto Three was probably the first game that I just wasted time on. Like, I would, I would just turn it on just to, just to screw around. And there's not many games that you could really do that on. Like, you didn't even have the option on many games. But I, I would always just try to, like, I would, without any objective in mind, I would just take a sniper rifle and try to get the most wanted stars I could and then try to run for my life, just, like, kind of making my own fun out of it. And no, I think that's... the term sandbox. Exactly. I was, I was thinking, like, we don't use that term anymore, do we? And now it's open world. It's it's not sandbox anymore. But I, I like I like the term sandbox a lot better because Grand Theft Autos truly are sandboxes. And if you look at Grand Theft Auto Five, like you can't like you can't drive three blocks without them trying to do something to ha- make like turn here, have fun. They do like little vigilante missions where like some lady gets her purse stolen and you can chase down the mugger and steal her purse back. I, it's just it's not mission related or anything like that. It's just something that happens on the street. And they have, like, fully formed games, like, in the game world. Like, I used to play Topspin all the time. And there's a tennis mini game that is, like, it is Topspin. Like, they have Topspin inside of Grand Theft Auto. Like, it's crazy Inception shit going on. <laughs> they have, like, assets you buy that give you, like, mini missions. Like, I love, like, this happens pretty early in the game, but I loved buying a, uh, it was, like, an airport hangar that they ran, like, gun smuggling missions out of. And I just, I just loved, I could just go get in a plane and then fly and just do gun smuggling. Like, there's no plot relevance or anything like that. It's just something fun to do. Okay. I, like, no game packs their stuff full of that. Like, Rockstar is emblematic of just packing their games to the brim. And I think it hurt them in Grand Theft Auto 4 
because they kind of did all that and then forgot like the actual game portion of it. <laughs> oh my god, Grand Theft Auto Five. It, it there's not a single mission that's that's similar to another mission. Like they're all so unique in their own right, and like there's so many like set piece moments. Which is just weird, because Grand Theft Autos have never really had those. They had, like, one or two every now and again. It seems like every couple of missions, you just have this like big set-piece moment. Have either of you played it, Grand Theft Auto V? No, I, I can't stomach Sandbox. <laughs> no, but can I, can I interrupt you for a second? Oh, absolutely. Go ahead. Uh, so, when I think of Grand Theft Auto in the earlier series, I think of it as a, as a really heavily... What's the term? Like... The fun is really user driven where it's it's not it's not so much there's stuff set up for you by the developers as you just go out and find your own fun. So you, would you say Grand Theft Auto Five is a lot more sculpted in, in, in regards to that? I, w- I would say it's both. Because um I was actually talking to my friend earlier whose uh, brother has the game. And he's like, I've played this game for eight hours and I've only been running through the missions and my brother has played it for eight hours and he's just been dicking around the whole time. Hmm. So it's 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 quite literally a sandbox in the sense that you could just do do what you want to do but the scripted the scripted mode it doesn't disappoint which was the problem in 4 I think cuz I think Grand Theft Auto I don't think has ever had a problem with uh let it letting you have your own fun but the so mission more the the main campaign that you were required to do yeah some things like sometimes those missions have felt a little lacking but they they definitely shored that up here, like, there's one specific mission that's... Well, actually, I want, before I even go into the details of this, there's something I wanted to mention that adds so much more to it. Like, if you play a mission you absolutely love it, they give you, like, a rating system, almost. It's kind of like a high score oh, thing. Nice. But it's not really, like... It's, it's not like a leaderboard to compete or anything like that, but it enabled them to give you the option to go back, and you can just select what mission you want to replay from a list. You can just pick it out and play it again if you found one you wanted to play, which I think is brilliant. Otherwise, you'd have to play through the entire game to get to the mission you want. They, I don't think I've ever known a game that let uh, a uh, open world game that's let you do that. Like it, I, uh, I would have to go back and check, but I think Lego City Undercover might let you do that. Oh yeah, <laughs> it's such a brilliant thing though, just because of how long the game is. And I, I, I did that for one of the missions. I, I probably did it three or four times right after, just to have, just to have fun. But um, you like start off on a hill because you guys, you guys know how there's like three characters that you can switch between. Sonic Knuckles and Tails. Yeah, that opened up the narrative so much in these missions, which is probably the reason why they're so amazing. There's a mission where you start off on a hilltop with one of the guys, and you have to, like, snipe the engine on an airplane. It's not, like, hard and a pain in the ass like you think it could be, because they actually give you, uh, like, a target to aim for, so you're not just, like, blind-eyeing an engine on a passing plane, which probably could have been the most pain in the ass thing ever. But you shoot this engine out and cause it to crash, and then you switch to another one of your characters who, like starts on top of a mountain in a dirt bike and chases this airplane that's in a dive across, like, the entire desert of uh, San Andreas. Just, like, it's, like, the most perfectly sculpted and scripted, like, um, pathing that, like, no point do you ever feel like you're getting cheated, which I thought was, like, the most uh, just technically amazing feat that I'd ever seen, just because this is, this is a big-ass desert you're going through. And... If you've ever played in um, in the Grand Theft Auto games and you're on a bike, if you touch like a rock the wrong way, you like start backflipping and flying off your bike, and it can become a ridiculously frustrating experience. But this is just like it's so thematic 
it feels like you're in an action movie chasing this thing down. And it's just fun. All right. I, th- I think we could go on about Grand Theft Auto Five for quite a while, but... You see why um, I'm having problems writing my review now? <laughs> <laughs> Turn in, like, a 10,000-word review. Right. I just start, I can just ramble on about so many small things, but you're right. But, uh, yeah, we should probably get moving. I'm um, sorry. <laughs> no. <laughs> Glad to hear it's a good game. Fox, what have you been playing? Uh, are there other video games? Yeah, there other are, video games. There are other video games? Uh... I've been playing Neverwinter Nights 2, and more recently it's expansion Mask of the Betrayer. What was the second one? Mask of the Betrayer. It's an, it's an expansion. Oh, okay. Neverwinter Nights, is that late 90s? Yes. Uh, the first one was, I think this one was like 2004 or something. It's the Forgotten okay. Realm series of games. Another man after my own heart. Mm-hmm. Boulder's Gate 2 is like my favorite game of all time. So what, what kind of games are these? Is it like Diablo... Diablo is more action-oriented. It's an action RPG, I'd say. Uh, but this is more—it's—it's it's more straight RPG. Okay. You, you've got a character you create from like—I oh, don't know how many classes they've got. Like more than, than ten. Uh, you, you create a character from scratch. You set all the stats, set everything, and then uh, I think single player. It's—it's it's turn-based, a real time with pause. So you—you you, you go into combat. You you select your whatever you want to do. You pause and let the round play out, and you keep doing that for the series of rounds until someone's dead. It's, okay. it's actually a 3D representation of uh, Dungeon & Dragon rule set, so it's like you're playing Dungeons & Dragons, but with a computer doing all the dice rolling for you. Right. So oh. much fun to play. If you can get, if you can get into the role-playing, it's so much fun to play. So, uh, I take it you're enjoying it so far? Yes. It's Well, I, I went through the original campaign first, because uh, Mask of the Betrayer is kind of somewhat of a continuation of that storyline, and it was, it was fun, but a little underwhelming. But the, the Mask of the Betrayer is really picking up on this story, and it's pretty great so far. Do you ever check out the uh, stuff the community made? Because Neverwinter Nights was huge with community-made content to just expand the life of the game. I know what they've got. I, I, I need to check that out soon, but I'm just going through the main stuff, or the official stuff right now. Yeah. I've never checked out any of the community stuff either. Though I've heard, I've heard there's some good stuff in that stock. Oh, I believe you. It's one of my favorite things about computer games is just the... Uh, Life of these games is extended indefinitely, depending on the creativity of the community involved. So, when you say the story really picks up in the expansion, um, do you mean like the the text of it, or that you know the gameplay of it also improves? I'd say both. Yeah. Uh, well, the the text and that presentation really pick up. Uh, it just it, it it's just like a thematic 180, basically. But it is just the atmosphere and the presentation really beef up. And then the gameplay, it hasn't changed much, but there, there's, a, there's a different mechanic involved. Basically, at the start of this game, you find out you're a spirit eater, which, which is kind of a curse afflicted upon you for whatever reason you're trying to find out. And it causes your health to drain over a period of time. So you, to either stop that, you need to eat spirits, which the more you eat, the more hungry you become, so your bar fills, fills faster. And once that reaches zero, you die. So you have to find ways of quelling that. And that's a nice balance, kind of in and out of uh, combat. Okay. I think that was an anime I saw once. Spirit Eater. <laughs> uh, is there anything else you wanted to share about it? I'm not good at sharing things. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's fine. Um, I, I wish I could go on about go on about games like Mike can, but I'm just not very good at that. <laughs> oh, I have to get the gab. I can talk forever. <laughs> you play off of each other very well. I myself has, have been playing 
uh, The Wonderful 101. I wrote kind of a glowing review in the radioactive sense. I just got so infatuated with that game where I think it does a perfect job. Like, as a person who doesn't get action games, I think it did a great job of introducing me to what action games do, like nuanced nuanced combos, um, using the right weapon at the right time, getting a sense for dodging and blocking and etc. Um, I felt like I understood really deep, complex systems. And it ushered me into those in a really subtle, planned way that you don't... I mean, I hate to discriminate based on region, but I feel like Japanese games tend to be a little rougher when you're trying to learn them. And that was definitely <laughs> not the case for Wonderful 101. Um, what, what is the Wonderful 101, first off, though? Because that's, that's a very uh, ephemeral oh. title. I mean, it doesn't go very far to tell me what <laughs> Maybe I should have explained that first. Yeah. Um, it's uh, So, when you think Hideki Kamiya, you think Devil May Cry, uh, which is this game based on, like, based on a sort of Street Fighter-style combo system. You attack someone with a rhythm so as to keep them locked into a, into a combo, and the longer you keep them locked and stunned, the more successful you are, the higher points you get. And so there's a number of methods you can use for, like, paralyzing or otherwise uh, incapacitating your foes. So the wonderful one-on-one takes that idea of stringing together combos. So the problem I've always had with those kinds of games is that it's a little hard to follow what's going on. Like in you're not, you're not Mario, big Mario, I collide jokes. with an enemy, I know I'm going to be hit. But with something like Devil May Cry, you need to predict when your enemy will slash at you, and you need to dodge out of the way appropriately. In Wonderful 101, everything, uh, both your enemies and yourself, are really big, very obvious things. So it's easy to follow the action that's happening. Like the standard enemy mech will give you a couple seconds where he'll, he'll like hold his sword up and give you a couple seconds to block. And it's, it's this huge window of time to react. So I think that's one of the major successes of uh, Wonderful 101. <laughs> was that a successful explanation of it, or was that just sort of a rambling? So, so Devil May Cry style game? Yeah, it's a Devil May Cry style game, but with uh, really obvious tells. So is it significantly easier than their other games, or is there still a bit of difficulty to it? Well, it's uh, I feel like it achieves a range of difficulties where... Just to get through it, it's pretty easy, even on normal mode. But if you want to go for, you know, high scores and all that, it's going to take a mastery of the system. And, I mean, there's not as much subtlety to master as something like Devil May Cry or even God of War. But there's definitely systems to discover and uh, and play around with. So you're saying it's got, also, a, it's got a pretty little, it's got a pretty low level of entry, but a pretty decent skill cap, right? It's like, got a decent you'll be skill reward, cap. You'll be rewarded for learning it. Yeah. I wouldn't go in expecting something as deep as Devil May Cry, but if you, uh, if you look for depth, you won't be entirely disappointed. Nice. So you really liked it, then? I am uh, currently infatuated with it, and that <laughs> made me kind of scared, so I put a 7 on it instead of a 9. Just to make <laughs> yourself feel better. Yeah. <laughs> can, you give, can you give us one word about it that isn't wonderful? Oh, see that, uh, can I say wonderful? <laughs> I, uh, I also, I guess I can't give away spoilers, but the final chapter has a, uh, reference to a Sega arcade game that just about, uh, melted my heart. Sonic? Is it Flickies? No, not, no, it's, uh, it's one of the AM2, uh, sprite scaling games. Afterburner? No, I, I, I can't say, it'll be a spoiler. <laughs> Anyway, uh, we can play 20 questions later. <laughs> yes. <laughs>
So we may as well dive in on our main topic here. Uh, last week, Valve made some announcements that people had been looking forward to, but maybe hadn't predicted all the details of. Uh, first up, there was the Steam operating system that was announced, where Valve announced that they would be basing their own operating system off of Linux. So this would mean shifting Steam and everything off of Windows and making games playable on a native Linux platform. Well, I believe uh, it's actually based on the Steam that they already have that is compatible with Linux. So it, it was uh, it's that program just growing up into its own operating system? I believe so. And they also mentioned that uh, in the meantime, until they have a decent library, that you can just stream games from your Windows PC over to whatever thing is running the Steam operating system. So you would have two computers set up, essentially. So, uh, Fox, you strike me as a PC gamer, right? You could say that. What do you think about the Steam operating system? I'm really excited for it, actually. Uh, I've dabbled in Linux before, uh, just in setting up an installation and playing around with it. And the thing that's keeping me to Windows is really the games. So once, uh, I think when SteamOS comes out, I'm going to try and do a dual partition so I can like live in the SteamOS environment and then hop over to Windows when I need to play games it won't support. That's not a bad idea. I was wondering what I might do, but uh, I might have to look into that. Any like misgivings about this? Well, all the details aren't out yet, so I'm going to be... I'm, I trust they'll, they'll take it in a good direction because Steam is usually pretty... They're, they're usually excellent in, in regards to user-friendliness. So I'm going to wait for the rest of the details to come out and reserve my judgment, but I'm pretty excited for it. Okay. Uh, Mike, did you have any thoughts on the Steam operating system? Well, I'm going to be in the minority here, but I was super excited for it when they first announced it a week ago. The longer I've had to think about it, I don't... I really don't think this is going to have any possibility to do anything but fail. Ooh, really? Like, yeah, strong words, I know. But, I mean, let's, let's think about this for a second. Like, what, it, what exactly is it they're releasing? They're releasing an operating system. Whereas their marketing right now may be that they're trying to compete with Xbox and Sony, or Xbox and PlayStation. But in reality, their real competition is Windows and Mac OS, which is a much harder market to get into. I mean, people still use Ubuntu, Linux, Linux now, and stuff like that, but they're the minority. It's all freeware stuff, too. So it's not like anybody's making a profit off of that, which Valve is a business, and they need to make a profit. So we have an operating system masquerading as a game console, but Valve doesn't make hardware. So um, I'm, do you guys know who Valve's partnering with? Uh, no. Actually, uh, that was something I had been concerned about. I heard there, them... They were making prototype devices, but I didn't know... Right. Um, they're currently... The, the SteamOS is going to be available to pretty much anybody, so it's, it's basically going to be... Think of it like... Uh, like Microsoft, Microsoft makes Windows, but Dell and Sony use Windows on their laptops. That's kind of what Valve is doing here. They're making the SteamOS. They're making Windows. But they have a proprietary system. Well, I, I shouldn't say proprietary system. They have a company that they have a vested interest in called XI3. Okay. So their prototype is basically going to be an XI3. XI3 is like someone with a closed eyes and they have the bunny lips and maybe a mustache in the middle. <laughs> All the emoticon? Yeah. Yeah, but I mean, uh, Valve is working with uh, this company called XI3, which, granted, they're not going to be the only person with, with um, 
with Valve OS or Steam OS. But this is this is pretty much what you're going to be expecting from the Steam version, the piston. The cheapest model of the piston, which is technically not out yet, but the price is listed at $1,000, which is not console competitive pricing. That's PC competitive pricing. So yeah. right now we're mas- we're masking an OS release as a console release with PC pricing. And well, that's a, it, it's worth noting that mm-hmm. is just for the XI3 release, and there will be yes. subsequent companies in 2014 absolutely uh, gearing towards a cheaper market, although they might not have as, as great comp- compatibility. But if they want to compete with um, if they want to compete in the console market, though. PCs aren't cheap. I mean, that's, that's the problem everybody has. PCs aren't cheap. Consoles are being sold at a loss right now. Or they're going to be sold at a loss when they come out, I should say. Because of how high quality their components are going to be. And they can't afford to go higher. And I'm just, I'm just thinking, what market, is, what market does Valve really think is going to be going after this? They have their faithful, but all of them already own computers. And if they're releasing... Granted, I suppose Valve might not have that much financial, uh, and might not have that much of a financial investment at stake since they're not making the hardware, which is where the money is. So I suppose anybody who decides to install uh, SteamOS anywhere would be a success for Valve. But I, I, I gotta think the market isn't there that they're looking for. I, I don't, I'm not sure they know what market they want to go for because the Steam faithful have their computers, and I don't think they're gonna replace their computers for a third-party, um, cheaper computer. Well, so it sounds to me what you would start with users uh, custom installing it on their own computers that are not PCs, and it would be a slow climb to... I think that's uh, Valve's ideal, yes. ...to bring people over from Windows, which I don't think, like, people are stuck with Windows because it has the games, but... uh it's what everybody knows. It's what everybody already has. It's like yeah. you're, you're fighting an uphill battle against an entrenched market. I guess so. I come at this as a software developer, and I know Windows kind of has shitty standards for stuff. <laughs> um, so it seems to me that if there's a Steam alternative, that you know, of course the popular option is going to be remain popular for a time, but eventually the quality of something that Valve puts out assuming that Valve puts out a good operating system, would eventually pull people over, and if uh, if Valve has the wherewithal to stick it out, that they could come out on top. But you got to think, how long are they willing to try to wait to stick it out, for one? And two, it's based on Linux, which is already available. So that makes me wonder how I think... much... Sorry, go on. I was going to say, that, make... that just makes me wonder how much of a foothold it could already establish without its market it already has. Because it is already... It is... I basically a Linux operating system. I'm going to say, and this is a bit of a jump, uh, I think one of the biggest things Linux has going against it is the user interface and how hard it looks to get into. And I think Steam is one of the companies that can, the Valve is one of the companies that can actually go in and make a change in that kind of, in, in that direction. That's actually If they can really make good. it look like it has mass appeal, I can see more people going towards it, even if it's slow at first. That is actually a really good point. But i got to wonder... Big picture mode isn't exactly operating system friendly. It is game interface friendly. So then that if if that is what it I mean that's what it's supposed to be based on as far as I understand that I could be completely off base right here. But that's going to preclude the option of it being used as a 
uh, primary computer interface. Right. It would just be games. Right. Which is, once again, kind of going into that market of, I have my console, I have my computer, this doesn't really fit in anywhere. Um, I think you find, as people lose computers for smartphones... That comes back to the... Uh, you said it yourself earlier that I started to comment on. It's a streaming device, which requires your main PC. Well, that's that's until they have a decent Linux library. I think the reason for that currently is uh, if you if you look at the XI3 site... Yeah. The uh, largest available hard drive um, that doesn't start skyrocketing your price is uh, like the standard hard drive is 16 gigs, so they oh. don't they don't come very big. And then you can you can you can get bigger and you can get external drives for a lot, but like like default pricing for like the standard XI3, not the piston, which is their gaming version, but the standard XI3 is $500, and that's a 16 gig hard drive. You could fit uh, 80% of Arkham Asylum. <laughs> right, exactly. So that's that's the reason why I think they're at least starting, because their prototype is probably going to be on one of these. So that's that's why the streaming is going to be starting. And I got I got I got to wonder how expensive it's going to be for third-party developers. Because well, let's be honest here, in, in the console market, at the very least, third-party is dirty term. They're synonymous with cheap, like just poor quality. Um, well, uh, like with Android, you have Samsung coming to the forefront. I, it might take some time, but I think... Uh, that, that's true, but I, I just means in terms of like Xbox and PlayStation, like consoles, like the uh, peripherals, like we're talking like Mad Cat's controllers here, which, yeah, which it wouldn't be the same for computers, obviously. And that's another thing. Like who's, who's going to be making the, the uh, computers for this? Like no, we don't know. Obviously, but I don't. I don't really see this being like a Dell market. I see this being like an Alienware thing, and that's expensive. I think someone will recognize that someone wants a cheap, cheap Steam box. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to say something along those lines. I can see there being a number of of, of companies seeking into making Steam boxes for different pe- different kinds of people to suit their taste and price range. I don't think cost is going to be such a great obstacle as it seems. I think it's gonna have to be though. Like uh, you, you play computer games, so I mean, you know, you know how expensive it is to play. Uh, the new games that come out, I mean, they're not getting any smaller. They're not getting any more archaic. Well, how about a Steam box that's marketed towards indie gamers? I think that could be a great idea, but then again, I gotta think it's not gonna sell. It's called the PlayStation 4. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> I'm, I'm sorry. Some, something something made purely to sell indie games, though. I Wasn't mean, that essentially the Oya? Oh, no. <laughs> I, I mean... I don't know yeah. what the Oya was meant for. <laughs> I mean, I know it looks bad now, but it, it had enough uh, enough draw to, to raise such a successful Kickstarter, even if it's not so popular now. It was yeah. the idea, yeah. It wanted to. It was. It was basically billing itself as the alternative console, though not really like the indie console. I gotta think like the market that you're gonna want to grab is gonna be saying, "I can't play my Grand Theft Auto on this, but I can yeah. play my indie games on the machine I can play Grand Theft Auto on." You know what I mean? That's the thing about allowing you know up team manufacturers that there's gonna be people marketing like trying to hit mass markets and people trying to hit niche markets. Do console people? I, I, I got to think the idea is that this is supposed to appeal to the console person who doesn't play PC games. 
which is is probably a good idea. I don't know what I don't know what the numbers are on like how big that is, but I, I got to think that person is the a console person's never had to look at spec specifications of games. They just buy the game and it works. I got to think that'd be a huge problem. Yeah, that it fragmentation is a huge problem. Uh, Android doesn't even have it quite licked, um, so that is going to be something big for Valve to overcome. Yeah, like maybe have like. Um, the OS would pretty much have to read your system and not let you buy games that you can't play. Yeah. Which I don't think that would be that hard, but then again, I don't know. In regards to that, Steam now has certain games that won't run on all computers. Like the, you mean like ones that'll run on Mac, but or ones that'll run on PC, but not Mac? Well, not quite. I mean, specific they, Mac store, but yeah. Like, I, I remember buying Max Payne 2 just... I think last Christmas sale, and that would that doesn't run on my computer. It has diff, a lot of difficulties running on Windows 7. Yeah, right. I guess I didn't. I guess I didn't really think that they wouldn't. Um, they wouldn't have incompatible games on there. So yeah, if, I mean that's already a problem. Then it'd be even more of a problem with something that's going to be having uh, console aspirations. Yeah, I would think. I don't know. I see. Then again, like I'm, I'm the nitpicker, I know, but I, I see more negatives possibilities of this than positive ones. Like I want it to work. I think it's a good idea in theory, but like what I've seen so far or what I what I know about it isn't isn't filling me with hope. I think in general there are tons of negatives to trying to enter the console market altogether. There there are way too many things that can go wrong for for anybody, even someone with an established football in the, in the console market to go wrong. Let alone a newcomer. Yeah, if if anybody were able to do it, it'd probably be Steam. The I yeah, I think the one benefit Steam has over uh, people like Sony or Nintendo um, is that they have a gaming market that they can fall back on for a little while. I think that market is also probably leading to a bit of hubris too. I mean, everybody tells you you're so awesome for so long, you start to believe it, and you think you can do no wrong. Do you really start to second guess your own opinions then? Yeah. Um. I I don't know. I don't have a good sense of how uh, cocky Steam or Valve is. Uh, that's yeah, that's a tough call. Just I just know they're treated as messiahs now. Like they're the company people um want to want to hold up. So I don't I don't know what it, I don't know what their personal in in house opinions are. I just know from. What I've seen of other pop culture things is once once you start believing your own hype, things can go wrong pretty fast. Well, we've been talking about I, the controller. Yeah, I was about to about to say it's got like the two trackpads on it, which basically like a touchscreen but with mouse-ish precision, and then it's got uh, two buttons by each thumb and then two buttons on the back of each side, I believe. That's what the that's what the picture kind of implies, but it's so hard to tell. I'm, so Fox, do you, can you imagine yourself using that? I have I've read one write up uh, from a developer who used it. It was it was from the developer of Me Boy. Uh, oh, I did read about did, that. Didn't you say it was weird, but once you but it was more responsive. Yeah, he said, well, it's it's really customizable, so it's something you can change to get used to. But I mean, it was it's just been made. So it's it's going through a lot of phases right now where where they're tweaking it, but 
it he's he, essentially he said it's it's not going to replace his 360 controller for his PC, but it's not worse than it. I really want to see how it how it uses the dual trackpads for like trying to play a, a, a strategy game on a console. But I'm really interested in seeing how it works, just just out of curiosity. I don't think I'd right now I'm not in the kind of in the camp where I switch to using it, but it's it's nice curiosity. Seems like a good solution for. Uh... You know, sitting on a couch, you don't exactly have a mouse there, um, but you want to play an RTS or you want to play a first-person shooter half-decently. Um, the trackpad seemed like a great idea there. I think it's very interesting. I got I got to think it would probably benefit more from being, like, a hybrid. Like, uh, if I, like I'm thinking about if I wanted to play a, a shooter, I think I'd rather have a joystick to walk with, with a touchpad to look. Oh, I, See, I was thinking you might want the trackpad on the left and buttons on the right. See, I, I'm, I'm just thinking, like, whenever I play first-person shooters on the console or pretty much almost any game where I'm controlling an avatar walking around, I like I like the tactile feel of a joystick, of being able to hold it in a little bit and they walk a little bit, and being able to push it down farther and they walk really fast. And it, uh, it flicks back whenever you let go. Right. And I, I'm not sure, like... Am I going to have to, I'm, I'm assuming no, but am I going to have to, like, keep, uh, like, the problem that laptops have now, am I going to have to keep moving my finger up when I want to walk? You know what I'm saying? Yeah. From from what I've read, I hear it's it's actually, well, one of the guys that played, I think it was one of the guys in Double Fine that was using it, said that you shouldn't call it a trackpad, because it, there's the negative laptop connotation with it, but it's it's much smoother and more... Yeah. I mean, that connotation's there for a reason. It's not, trackpads aren't good to play on, and it is a trackpad, even if you don't want to call it one. I think my biggest worry with this controller, for one, I don't think you I don't think it'd be fair to call this a Steambox controller, because I don't, this is pretty much a third-party peripheral for computer controllers, because if you have third-party, if you're going to have third-party people making the Steambox, like, I I can't imagine how you're going to, like, enforce this controller on Steam boxes. You, yeah, you understand I what I'm saying? Same impression. It's just going to be something that recommended that you use with the Steam Yeah, boxes. like I could buy this and use it on my computer now with no problem. I could see that just being a computer peripheral, which is better in my opinion, because it seems like a controller actually designed for it, rather than I, my controller is an Xbox 360 wired controller, which works perfectly fine, but it wasn't designed for computer games, obviously. I should probably mention, um, we're throwing Steambox around because that's what it's been called for the past year. But uh Yeah, Steam Machine. Steam Machine, yeah. Yeah, I don't like that name. <laughs> but I, I I notice a severe lack of buttons. And that kind of is curious because computer games are known for being button intensive. Um I think half the half the point is that you would be able to put you'd be able to sort of map buttons on the right half. Yeah. Uh, are there supposed to be a buttons in the middle, right? Like that, that what looks like a touch screen in the middle is four oh, buttons. Yeah, they have mentioned that possibility as well. Yeah, because I, I, the, the thing looks like it says like uh, the, the portal two bindings thing that comes with it shows it basically using like the, the function keys in there, but I'm assuming if it's it, it might be mappable, but I don't know. But I can't... I always hate touch screens like uh, keyboards. Have either of you ever used like just those touch screen keyboards? Because I hate them. Yeah, no, I could never get used to them. Yeah, so, I mean, I can understand using them for, like, the quick save feature, but not for, like, actual buttons. 
I don't know. I think one of my biggest worries, though, is it's a new piece of technology, so obviously there's going to be hiccups, but trackpads are notoriously fickle. Like, they break easily. They don't last long. Is there an estimated cost to this controller yet, or is it just we know the controller's design? It's just been the design that I've seen. That's a good question, actually. I don't know that. Yeah, because this is not... It's probably not going to be... Unless it's made with, like, really cheap components, which would be even worse for it. It's probably not going right. to be a... It's probably not going to be a cheap controller. Probably 50 to $60 minimum. Well, that's, that's fair. That's, that's normal. That's... Yeah, but... Uh, Oh man! Like every time I look at it, I just imagine I'm just imagining my trackpad losing sensitivity because that's what happens on my laptops. Oh, which would be the worst. And I don't know how expensive trackpads are because I've never had to buy one. I, I think there's pitfalls just all over the place. <laughs> I don't I don't want to I don't want to judge its viability as a controller, but I'll I'll, ju- I'll judge the potential hazards of hardware malfunction. I don't think it would be exciting if there weren't pitfalls. Uh, I'm glad to see <laughs> someone else taking a risk. Uh, that's that's true. That's it. Just blows me away when I look at it. What's most interesting is I've never seen anything like it before. I'm just wondering why no one's tried it, or if they have. I'm sure why the, it's failed. I'm sure the ideas existed. I don't. I'm not sure how revolutionary this really seems. Just replacing joysticks with touchpads. Well, it's uh, you saw it in some form or another on the DS. Uh, with early titles like Super Mario 64 and Rayman 2, where they would put a joystick sort of thing on the touchscreen. And uh, it's also something you see in smartphone gaming a whole pads, lot. Pads do it now, too, where they put basically... D- I think bad pad games do it, where they have like a D-pad controller yeah. in the screen. But it is it is a first for controllers. And I'm still, I still don't think it's going to replace a mouse and keyboard for uh, preferential control. I, I just don't, I cannot see it getting the, um, even even if it is more precise, I just don't see the level of control that I get from having my full hand on my mouse. Right. And having that kind of control. Uh, yeah, when you have your whole hand on the mouse, that's your arm you're operating with instead of your thumb. Right. And I, I know exactly what every motion is going to do when I get into a game. And a thumb has just never been able to quite reach that. That's why uh, we have Wii remotes. <laughs> I mean, people are gonna laugh when I say that, but I'm gonna be saying that till the day I die. Yeah, and then it, and then it loses its calibration. Hey, that's only with the friggin' pro. That's one of the reasons the I could. That's one of the reasons I could never beat Skyward Sword, is because every 20 minutes it would lose calibration, and I'd have to turn off my console. It's kind of annoying. That's oh why God, you play Metroid Three instead. If uh, the Wii the Wii U doesn't have motion, does it? The tablet controller has, I want to say a gyroscope, but I don't know exactly Gyroscope's what it is. Not, it, gyroscope's it not bad. how it's oriented. That's not bad. But as long as the next Zelda game isn't going to be Skyward Swords levels of annoying, I think that's going to go out in the annals as the Forgotten Zelda title, just because of motion control. Uh, and some poor boss decisions with whatever the hell that gigantic porcupine was. I could argue to Tuesday and back with you about uh, the finer aspects of Skyward Sword. That was I would happily do that. That was the lamest boss they could have ever chosen. It didn't even do anything. It just walked and had giant comical toes that you hit with your sword. I don't even know what to make of that thing. That was awful. They got too reliant on using the same... They only had three areas, and they used them three different times. That was just padding. No, it's yeah. called the developing... Su- Wait a minute. I can't get drawn up into this. We're talking about Steam. 
That's true. <laughs> I, love. Um, I digress. So when can we expect Zelda on Steam Machine? <laughs> that's going to be the real coup. Nintendo and, and Nintendo and Steam. That's why the third-party developer is going to be Nintendo. That's it. That's how they move forward. Oh, they my God. The Wii U in Half-Life 3. The, uh, in Steam, though. Half-Life 3 U. Oh. I think you just gave Greg an orgasm. <laughs> I want oh. I want to like the Steam so much, but all I can see is skepticism. That's all I can feel for it. I'm just like staring at like the release page. Just I I just don't see it. Fox, how are you feeling about about Steam Box? Are you excited or uh, skeptical? I don't know how to feel. <laughs> I haven't I haven't brought you over to my side yet. <laughs> I'm excited because someone's doing something different, and uh, I am definitely a fan of new controllers. I just don't think it's different. Controller controller's different, but as a computer peripheral, those just kind of get lost, I think. Yeah, I guess uh, if the Steam operating system doesn't do well, the controller could has the potential to just go down as like this, just like an interesting thing that happens. A novelty, because there's a actually novelty. a lot of those. In, in computer gaming, there's a lot of like, "Quote unquote novelty peripherals that have been released over the years that either uh, still use just those uh, on, driving wheels, the steering wheels. Um, I think I think only the hardcore driving fans use those because they do. There's those people that have like uh, three windows, so you can have like left mirror, right mirror. You know, what I mean, <laughs> those are the people that use it. Oh, you'd have like three monitors set up. Yeah. Uh, Forza was able to do that. I don't know how the hell you manage it, but somehow Forza 3 was able to do that on the Xbox 360. Three Xboxes, three TVs. Oh, my God. I don't, I, don't know, I don't know how you link them together to get them all to, like, cooperate. Well, the original Xbox had a LAN cable, right? It was the Xbox 360, though, which I don't think it had LAN features, even though it had Ethernet ports. But I don't... I suppose... I mean, I, I, guess, I guess it would have to be via Xbox Live, but I could just imagine my left beer lagging while my right beer goes forward. Which would be really weird. But, I mean, I don't even really think it's all that different, because I see it as an OS, not a console. And maybe maybe that's maybe that's where I'm going to be wrong. Maybe maybe they're going to prove me wrong, and it's going to be a legitimate console uh, contender. We'll have to see. Because I honestly, I honestly feel like that's where Sony... Because that's where they had problems here. I honestly feel like that's where Sony is going to be having problems, and I think it's going to show, is the fact that they're a hardware developer and not a software developer. Because PlayStation 3 goes down all the time when they do patches, because they don't do software very well. And I think if they program their operating system on the PlayStation 4 as poorly as they did the operating system on the PlayStation 3, they're going to have problems. Well, you say they're not great with software, and uh, I can't speak to how good their operating systems are, but... They do know how to acquire good software developers for games. They do. They do. But, I mean, they're not making the operating system, though, is the thing. Like, Sony, like, every couple of patches, I feel like they're crashing their own hardware. So, uh, I guess uh, the Wii U has that up on them. <laughs> Does the Wii U even have an operating system? It, I mean, it, it has a... I'm sure it has a file allocation table. <laughs> um, actually, yeah, an update just went out today, and I don't want to get anyone too excited, but uh, I've heard on the rumor mill that it's finally the update that lets you play Wii games on your tablet screen. 
how do you do you like just like put that on easel and then get your Wiimote out? Yeah, you still need to use <laughs> the Wii controllers. Yeah, um, that sounds so. It sounds it sounds cool in theory, but it doesn't make sense when you realize you can't use the buttons on the the. <laughs> That's so bad. Oh my god, I love it. Anyway, I guess to wrap things up, Fox, are there, are there any games coming out that you're looking forward to? I'm PC centric. Uh, so there are no console games I'm looking forward to, but I've got significant uh, coinage invested in Wasteland 2 and uh, Project Eternity Kickstarters. So I'm looking forward to them coming out next year. When did Wasteland 2's Kickstarter happen? <sighs> like earlier this year, right? Yeah. Okay. Those did look kind of promising, yeah. Uh, Mike, any games you're looking forward to? I absolutely cannot wait for uh, Arkham Origins. Even though it's another game where I'm kind of like, it's not being made by Rocksteady, so it could probably only go down. It's Batman, and it's Arkham game. I cannot wait for it. And then also, they just put on, like, two days ago on Steam, like, a pre-order for Thief, which is, like, one of my all-time favorite game franchises ever. Even though they've come out till February, is which that, is so mean. Is that where they spell Thief with a four? Well, not on Steam, but the... Um, I, be- I believe they did. On was there a fourth? Yeah, I think the so. Last one was uh, Thief Three. Well, this this one does not have a four in it. At least not the Steam page. Like on the main page, the little scroll thing does not have a four in it. So it's or, more a reboot. Uh, yeah, kind of like Tomb Raider, I guess. Okay. Which I don't, I would I don't think it's a reboot so much as the just. Just they, developers are just kind of saying screw it and just dropping the numbers. Okay. <laughs> it's a new generation. Let's let's just get rid of the numbers, which I don't mind. I don't think I don't. I think I'd feel way more animosity towards buying like the 18th game in a franchise. All right. Well, I myself uh, would be looking forward to Arkham Origins Blackgate, but it comes out friggin' five days before Sonic Lost World. So someone just oh lost. Batman over Sonic. Come on. This looks this looks like the best Sonic in years. Yeah, but that's not Sonic. saying much. Oh. <laughs> Generations was really solid. Generations was Generations like was good a... Sonic games repackaged for a modern game, right? Oh, no. Oh, no. <laughs> Didn't um, it progressively get more towards bad Sonic? Well, play? because it, got, it yeah. started with earlier entries and ended with the later. <laughs> um, the th- like, Sonic Generations was... Super well produced. The design was really thoughtful. It was just not at all uh, original. It was um, it was Samsung by having theory that you could read off of Sonic Retro. Um, so you know it was well done for what it was. But Sonic Lost World looks like they're getting back to their more experimental phase that they were in during the GameCube era. I would love for Sonic to get a uh, Pac-Man CE treatment. You know what I'm saying? Uh, Sonic Rush. Is that what that is? That is pretty much, yeah. If it was already bad, then take I take back what I said. I just feel <laughs> like I, I wouldn't mind playing Sonic, where I'm just running a million miles an hour through, like, freaking psychedelic craziness with amazing music playing, and I don't know, maybe it works better in Pac-Man, but it sounds it sounds cool in my head. So would you like a Sonic Res crossover? <sighs> maybe. <laughs> my 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 hold up is the Sonic part. <laughs> I have so much nostalgia for Sonic. I just I, 
I can't help but be jaded. Damn you, Sega. Damn you. I'm looking forward to Lost World. <laughs> Anything else? That's the thing. I got to look up what's coming out in October because it's hard to believe I have uh, a whole 30 days without something coming out. It's going to be interesting to have a breather finally. This holiday season feels weird because I don't, I don't, I can't think of any games. I just think of the consoles right now. Yeah. Which is the thing. It's just, I don't is know. Is Mad Max coming out this season? I don't. I think that was a 2014 game, but I could be wrong. I haven't seen anything on it since uh, E3. I've been on it being 2014, but I have no idea. I played the Mad Max NES game in that. Uh, <laughs> I have absolutely no idea what to do, so it seems pretty terrible. Just don't be the well, guy who tries to catch the boomerang and loses his hand. <laughs> Fallout 1 is essentially a Mad Max RPG. I can see that. Fallout games. I, I need to go back and play the original Fallouts. But I digress. You should. Uh, thanks for joining me tonight, guys. Uh, we'll have to see what happens with Steam, but uh, glad to hear your speculate, speculations on it. Any final words? Anything you'd like to shill, Fox? To shill? Yeah. I'll take that as a no. I'm just... <laughs> you flabbergasted him. Ugh. He was trying to figure out what you said with shill. Um, and Mike, you've got a Grand Theft Auto V review coming up sometime as soon as you can pare it down from 10,000 words. I do. It's, it's going to be my dissertation. <laughs> Mike, you at PhD? Yeah. My God, it's so good. All right, that's it for Spider Duck. See you next time. Bye.